this, this episode yeah. will have you know 20 minutes of shelf life before that keynote happens before tim what's his face goes on uh, on stage yeah. <laughs> what, or as my sister used to say, what is known? Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 42 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra. I'm in Toronto, Ontario. And I'm joined once again by my co-hosts, first of all, Aaron in Whitby, Ontario. Hello. And I'm also joined by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And Mark is traveling again this week. So, all righty. Um, so we have a couple of follow-up items. I think the big follow-up item we could probably spend a, a bit of time on is um, Google I.O. was uh, last Thursday and Friday, I believe, last week. So they had a big giant keynote with at the Moscone Center where Apple is going to try and, you know, top them next week. Try. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, try not. Well, I'm, I'm, Ooh, I meant from a, I meant from a visual visual point of view because of the you know Google had this cool strip you know that wrapped around the building with video monitors. Oh, the glitz it. and the glamour, yeah, like that that matters, man. Come on. Well, it, it doesn't matter when you're getting into things like VR stuff. Like that. Anyway, we'll talk about that. Okay, so, fine. so um, Jaime, did you watch any of the keynote stuff or any of the presentations? I've not had a chance to view the videos, but I did read many, many different summaries and viewpoints on what was announced. And uh, I apologize in advance for anything that I have incorrect because I haven't actually, you know, right. heard it from the horse's mm-hmm. mouth. But uh, it seemed like there's a lot of good stuff that Google came up with, not only for the Android and Google ecosystem, but also for iOS developers. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I talked about at the very beginning, I watched a bit of the keynotes, uh, like a little late to the day, but I did watch most of it. And, uh, they rolled out Android M, which we expected they would. And, and um, they added a lot of things. They've added more like iOS-like type level of permissions um, so that, you know, now they can, you can get better permission settings, that kind of stuff from their, from the users. Um, one of the things that, that, uh, was kind of funny is app is Google pay, almost said Apple pay, Google pay, uh, Android pay, rolling. Android it even pay. starts with the same pay? letters. That oh, is so ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes me sick, you know, to see like they, of course they're going to come out with the ripoff service, but they got to name it the same thing. Like yeah, what the yeah. hell? Well, Oh, it's inevitable. Yeah. Is that what you're going to tell me? It's inevitable because it's the only possible name? No, no, I'm not going to say it. Well, it's it's not NFC, which has been the inevitable thing that everybody's been waiting for for so well, long. Well, it is Apple based on NFC. Like, like yeah, never mind exactly, the, the yeah. technology it's based on. I'm just calling it, like, what's what's the marketing name that we're going to use? And, you know, so mm-hmm. Apple Pay comes out, largely successful. And yeah. and then Google says, okay, we're going to... We're going to come up with the same service because, you know, we have to do what Apple's doing. And we're going to call it the same thing. And, you know, Samsung well, did the same thing, too. There's Samsung Pay. Oh, is there? <laughs> well, to your point, it's funny. I, I, I know you didn't watch the show, but but uh, the I noticed that one, the guy who came up to do the presentation on Android Pay, make sure I get that right, actually said Apple Pay during his talk. Oh, he, he flubbed it? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> oh man, now I have to watch that session yeah, video. It's, Unless sure they've redone it. Out. <laughs> I'm sure it's been cut out because <laughs> we were watching it uh, in a group, and and uh, some of the some of the people are Android developers that were watching it with me, so they were they were suitably excited. You know, again though, it was like they weren't they weren't blown away. Like nobody was really blown away by what Google present presented. Well, that you was know? my takeaway from the summaries that I read as well. Mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. no, nothing that we saw there was uh, terribly interesting, I think. Like, 
nothing mind blowing, nothing innovative, right? You talk well, about like a, a new copy paste mechanism for Android M. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so now it's it's closer to being as good as what we have on iOS, which frankly I'm not a huge fan of anyway. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. what else? Like, so they have CocoaPod support. Great. Okay, so that's that's yeah. nice. Um, app indexing, well, VR. Yeah, the the VR stuff is kind of cool, yeah, if, you're, cool if you're into three D if you're into three D stuff. But again, it's sort of what is virtual reality going to do? I mean, beyond gaming, well, you know, <laughs> o- Oculus Rift isn't that great. If I'm I'm told. It's all talk. Right. It's not something that's actually out in the world that everyone can use today, which is yeah. what Apple does, yeah. right? When Apple comes out with a new product, it's it's fully formed, it's complete, and it's available for everyone. Yeah, and we hope yeah. you like. Well, that's it. what I mean. Like, yeah, we, Apple hasn't done VR yet. No, because it's obviously too early. But you know, yeah. like just yeah. outside outside of VR, you know, like this is this is vintage Google, right? When when they yeah. do an I/O conference, it's let the dreamers out on stage and talk about all the things that you're working on. And whether or not this is going to mean anything in the long term, uh, in fact, probably not. You know, so well there there were two two significant things. One for de- from a developer point of view, and and that is that they've sta- they're standardizing on CocoaPods, which is kind yeah. of an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I think that's more on the iOS side, or oh, or obviously, yeah, it's yeah. They're is what they're what? saying is that their iOS uh, projects, all their frameworks and things, will be available as yeah. CocoaPods to be easily included into your projects when you're when you're developing against them. Uh, yeah. That's fine. Good, you know. But I understand. I understand. I read. A, I saw a, a quick tweet go by by Marco um, Armet that said that uh, the stuff he looked at was locked down. Like you couldn't actually see what the, it was. Like a a package they gave you that you really couldn't look into and see what they wanted to do with your stuff. And I think that's another another area of concern with people. And we'll talk about about privacy in a, in a little bit. But um, the other uh, significant thing. Um, oh, well, one more thing before we get away from from the developer side is that. Um, they've actually given the iOS guys a uh, proper URL now. We have developers.google.com slash iOS. It's just super easy to get to, to find uh, APIs for uh, the Google SDKs for iOS, uh, for Google Analytics, for um, what else is in there, uh, AdMob integration, and the various other things that you can do with, with Google stuff. Um, but um, they rolled out their Google Photos app which is kind of an interesting thing to have you guys looked at that at all or thought about it yeah, yeah spoiler yeah. alert i'll talk about it later in the show <laughs> oh yeah well we can go back to that later yeah so is that your pick it is indeed my pick all right yeah, yeah i can talk so more about, about that one um and i do think it's important for folks uh, kind of taking a couple steps back to really look at the way that apple does its wwdc conference and what it shows versus mm-hmm. what you know, Google shows at I.O. and uh, Microsoft shows at its conferences build. where uh, built. Thank you. On the Apple side, everything they show you is stuff they are going to ship. Like it will be in developers hands. It will be in you know consumers hands in some cases. <laughs> Not very soon, but, it, you know, up to a year later, uh, you know, as we've seen some things like analytics and so on and HomeKit. Uh, but it's it's not moonshot type stuff that the other conferences have in addition to their, this is what we actually intend to ship, right? So Google Glass is certainly one of those. Uh, Project Tango is one of those. There's all sorts of crazy like, oh, wow, wouldn't it be cool if TED Talk type stuff that Google showed at IO. People need to like be interested in that, sure, but forget about it. It's not going to impact your life this year, right? 
Oh, so this isn't stuff that they're actually rolling out in, in the near future, you're saying? Right? I mean, not in any sort of tangible consumer sort of thing. Oh, I see. And that's the diff- difference you're saying with Apple. Is Apple doesn't talk about stuff unless they're really rolling it out, right? Yeah, like it will be in an iPhone or it will be in a product sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, HomeKit right. was you know, notably super late, as is um, the app analytics stuff. But it right. wasn't like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had some sort of augmented reality type thing? And what do you think we could do with this? I don't know. There's Here's some marketing videos or, or a really you know, right. heavily coordinated demo. Everything you're going to see at WWDC will have, you know, obviously well-coordinated demos so that you don't have crazy things blowing up, right? Nobody likes that. It's not Apple style, but it's going to be stuff that really ships. So I want to separate right. that out because that, that, that will cause inevitably next week and the week after, you know, all of these articles being written in Business Insider and the like. It's like, Apple is doomed. Like, here's Google talking about being able to pay with just your face or use a gesture on your left <laughs> index finger. And Apple, what are you doing? And then, oh, look, do we still not have Project Tango? That's right. We don't. Is Google Glass dead, buried, never coming back in its you know right. current form? Yes. Huh. Exactly right. right. Exactly right. Um, so that's all the negative, but all the good stuff, right? So, So Google... You know, doing good stuff for iOS developers, like, you know, making its SDKs available via CocoaPods, which is a fairly reasonable distribution mechanism since we have no, uh, you know, official one. You know, we have no official way to do things. It's it's the closest thing, um, Carthage being a, another alternative. Um, I'm also interested in what they did for the um, deep linking or the um, indexing. I forget what they call the feature. App index. They call it app index. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So the, the idea here for people is this is actually something that, that's been on Android for a while, but you know, if you have, let's say a multi-platform kind of environment where you have a website and you also have an app um, so far, you've only been able to do this on the Android side where, Hey, I'm a retailer. I'm showing you a pair of shoes. I'm showing you a TV. You can see that result in your Google search results and then tap on that and be taken through deep linking directly to that spot in the app and, and have a real nice, seamless, rich experience. Now they've added that over to the iOS side where if you use their SDK, you can do that very same thing. And that's, I think, going to be a big opportunity for folks, right? This is, this is why Instagram came out with its additional advertising pieces, you know, these additional buttons to sign up or log in. Uh, Pinterest mm-hmm. is coming out with the same thing where, hey, you're looking at these items, you have an interest in it. Would you like to buy this? Press a buy button, be taken right to that buying experience. Do you guys use CocoaPods? Have you looked at using CocoaPods? What do you think about that? I'm a big fan. I've, I use them extensively in my own projects. Do you? Yeah. 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 Big fan as well. Use them as well. Still kind of interested in some good techniques for managing them as a dependency going forward. Um, there's yeah. been some snafus yeah. with the way that CocoaPods has operated its repository that are yeah, they had one I bad mean, it, moment it, it, where they had to refresh the entire source tree. Uh, whoops. Yeah, <laughs> and and people will mess up things, right? I've had, I want to say, Facebook's SDK. Um, they shipped out a new update but didn't change the version number. So you could oh. not reproduce the same exact build that you had because you, whoopsie, accidentally have 3.2. That's a totally different binary and totally different code, right? That's, that's yeah. unacceptable yeah. for a repo. Yeah. That, this follows up on a, um, a bit of talk that uh, uh, Tim Cook gave a speech, uh, according to this article here, a blistering speech on encryption and privacy um, and pointing out that, you know, I'm going to summarize here, that people 
tend to trust Google and, free, and Facebook type apps for which because they're free and they get to do all these cool things with them without realizing that they're surrendering their privacy and stuff like that. And um, we'll talk a bit about that when we get to Jaime's pick later on. But um, what did you guys think of this talk? And, and uh... I have a thing or two to say about it. Um, well, I think this is um, an issue that Apple has hinted at in the past and is going to become... I hope, anyway, a, a true differentiator for Apple um, against products from Google, Facebook, uh, Microsoft. Um, Microsoft may may turn out to have a similar position about privacy because they're kind of in the same business model as Apple in terms of they uh, sell things uh, for money. Um, they're not giving away their products for free. And that's that's really at the heart of, of why Apple is able to take this position um, where companies like Google and Facebook, for example, are in the business of making their products free and taking every bit of personally identifiable information that their users give them and sell it to advertisers um, right. and data mine it for other possibly nefarious purposes. Uh, whether in aggregate or in a personally identifiable way. And um, I think people are not sufficiently worried about that. Um, they, they don't seem to care, you know, what, uh, what information they're giving up because um, it's really not on their radar. It happens invisibly. It's, it's kind of a nefarious thing that happens mm -hmm. in the background. You don't see the exchange, right? It's like, it's like um, you have money that you're not actually in control of or aware of, but you're paying with that every time you use one of these services. And um, I'm as guilty of it as anyone. Uh, all my email is, is run through Google apps right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So like I'm, I'm no angel as far as this is concerned. Um, but I'm, you know, deeply aware of, of what's going on in the background. I know that this, this data that I'm generating and, and receiving from other people is going through this machine that is learning so much more about me and about the circles I run in, which is concerning. Mm -hmm. um, Twitter, same thing, right? You know, I don't know to what extent Twitter is, is using and selling my data, but that's their business plan, right? And so in the midst of all this tumult, Apple is sort of the one company that has a very simple and straightforward business model. They just want to sell you their stuff at mm -hmm. a good price. And in Apple's case, a really good price. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what Tim Cook is saying here, and he was, he was speaking at uh, a conference uh, where he received an, an honor of some sort for corporate leadership uh, during this, uh, this organization, Epic, it's called. They have this Champions of Freedom event in Washington. Right. Yep. And um, these are a group of people that are concerned about privacy. They're a nonprofit and the people that are at the event are people like Bruce Schneier, Bruce Schneier, <laughs> um, and other, you know, people that are involved in, uh, freedom of information and, you know, privacy on the internet. So, mm -hmm. um, having Tim Cook there is sort of a big deal because, uh, as you know, companies in Silicon Valley tend to represent the bad guys in, in sort of their worldview, right? Apple is right. the sole exception that we know about. And some of the things that Tim Cook said were very impassioned. And so I think it deserved the blistering word that was applied in this head headline on TechCrunch. Um, I'll just read you one, one thing that uh, he, he, he said. 
during this speech. Um, I'm speaking to you from Silicon Valley, where some of the most prominent and successful companies have built their businesses by lulling their customers into complacency about their personal information. They're gobbling up everything they can learn about you and trying to monetize it. We think that's wrong, and it's not the kind of company that Apple wants to be. Um, that's as straightforward an admission as you can find, that Apple is setting itself apart as a very different company. That if you mm-hmm. have any concerns whatsoever about your personal information, that you should use Apple stuff. You shouldn't use Google stuff. And so, and, and frankly, this rings every bell I've got in my head. You know, this is, yes, absolutely, 100%. I, I do hate the idea of, you know, using these high-quality free services that Google provides that we just talked about in their I.O. conference with all their wonderful APIs that are now even easier to access in my projects. You know what? F all of them. I'm not using a damn thing. <laughs> they can all go to hell because they're, they're taking too much, they're learning too much, and they have no respect for individual user privacy. And so I'm, I'm agreeing with what Tim has to say I believe in what Apple's position is, um, and you know, but I'm not totally naive. I totally understand that Apple's business interests align with that vision. Um, yeah. But having said that, this is a drum that Apple needs to beat. And over time, especially in light of the Snowden revelations, where you know, I think we've all kind of lost our innocence about using computers and believing that you're private somehow. Um, mm. You know, Apple is the one place that you can look that you could have any hope of having your own privacy maintained. What do you guys think? Well, I I just wanted to throw in a couple of things. So so I heard a a tech talk this morning um, uh, by a couple of journalists who were looking at this and and guessing what the alternative motive is. And and they wondered if it may in fact be, you know, Apple sort of covering their ass about the, I just want to put this out there, covering their ass about the, um, the, the leak of the uh, photos that were, that the celebrities went through a couple of months ago yeah. or six months ago, or, um, or could it be in fact, as I just thought about this myself is that, that, you know, Google's offering the service for free, whereas Apple charges, you know, so it's so much for free and then you pay, pay beyond that. Um, by the way, Google photos isn't totally free, but, um, but it does come off or it was presented as if it was a free service. For most people, it will be free. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's a trade off there. So do you think that there's some, I mean, I want to, I want to believe that Tim Cook is being earnest here about, about Apple's position, but do you think there may in fact be some other covering of asses or a near the kind of ulterior motive think? No, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that that's just false on its face. You know, the, the nude photos thing, the, you know, from, was that last year? That that turned out not to be related to any kind of technical issue on Apple's side. Oh, was it? Yeah, no. you know, like we, we talked about this at the time. But it was weak passwords or something like that? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was just straight up hacking. Um, it wasn't, yeah, yeah. you know, in like social engineering sort of thing. Um, and, and it turned out that many of the photos that had leaked, you know, had been extant for years in some cases and that they hadn't come from someone's iPhone, you know, busted out of iCloud somehow that that turned out to be a complete red herring. And so on its face, you know, that that speculation is just wrong. Um, But again, you know, I think the reason that we can have confidence in what Tim Cook is saying is simply that it aligns with Apple's business interests, you know, follow the money. That's that's the only, you know, uh, sure way of being a a good critic is to look at where the money is. And Apple's Mm -hmm. money is clearly aligned such that privacy, it can be and should be paramount in their business interests. 
Okay, so one, I also agree with with Aaron that it's it's absolutely nothing to do with the uh, the fappening event that happened. Um, because it, why would you address it six months to a year later? That doesn't make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like everybody's forgotten about that. We've moved on to the next controversy. Um, I think it's primarily a restating of Apple's values and what their business proposition is to you as a user. It's, it's very straightforward. You give us money for very nice things that we give you. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say it's a tiny little bit of covering themselves uh, in terms of ulterior motive of, you know, everybody else in their competitive space is moving towards free at some level. Um, Some Mm -hmm. at the extreme level, like a Facebook, which has, you know, and Google, which have interesting motives as to what they do, kind of in-betweeners like um, Microsoft that is making its OneDrive effectively boundless in terms of the amount of data space they give you. Dropbox, same thing. And here's Apple who, okay, to their credit, they're straight up charging you for the iCloud space that they have. But it's also, what they give you for free is a pitiful amount that doesn't make sense in 2015. Right, it's it's doing a disservice to their customers who may not know that. Like, hey, guess what? It's like you don't have enough space for all this stuff, uh, Grandma. So if you drop that iPhone in a bucket of water, you're like you're hosed. Goodbye to your kid, photos of your grandkids, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's this not the same. They, I mean, yeah. they need to be mindful of this stuff. But it's like, hey, you know, make it a more reasonable amount for 2015. I wouldn't and, be surprised then, if we saw an announcement about that next week. Yeah. Oh, that they're, they're dropping the price or making it more reasonable. Yeah. yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, it's the same kind of conversation we had about, like, it's unconscionable that they could sell a 16 gigabyte phone. Exactly. Nowadays, yeah. it's like, yeah. yeah, there's good business reasons why they're doing it, but you're doing a disservice to your customers because of that, right? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And But, you know, when you get back to it, um, I, I think, Jaime, you have an excellent point about Apple having to position itself, you know, to the average customer, Right, who's who looks at Apple and looks at Google or you know Samsung perhaps in this case, and says, okay, so Google offers all this stuff, but you know I have to pay for it with Apple. What's the deal? Mm-hmm. And there has to be a certain amount of education about you know why is it that Google stuff is free, you know? Um, and I think that's a drum that Apple needs to beat consistently, you know? So it's it's twofold, right? So okay, so in a very technical sense. Apple does have an ulterior motive. Uh, it's not terribly hidden. Uh, it's simply that, you know, I have to explain to you why they are able to give you the free stuff, you know, because how are they making their money? Yeah, and this, this whole, again, it's the race to the bottom that, that we've been talking about over and over again on the show. It, it kind of makes it difficult for especially smaller guys like you and I to sort of to, to be part of this business if we have to do everything for nothing, you know? Um, it's impossible. Yeah, I mean, there was a I posted a poem the other day about a, a somebody was asked to write a poem for a wedding. Oh yeah. And, oh god, I read yeah, that. Yeah, you know, it was, it was a, I think it was a real exchange. Somebody asked to write a poem for the wedding, and she sort of said, "Well, sure, I charge five dollars a an hour, or fifteen dollars an hour." It was, it was a ridiculously small amount. Yeah, and and the person said, "What? I have to pay you for this? Forget it. I'm not paying." And the other person just finally said, "Fine. You know, I, I don't work for free, and I hope you have a great. Your sister has a great wedding. You know, have a nice day." It's nuts. <laughs> like, so one of the things we talked about on this show in the past is about, you know, what, what we're doing, why we do it, um, what reasons we have for building the apps or focusing on the business activities that we do and, you know, where we spend our time. And Aaron posted something today about Brent Simmons. Uh, Brent Simmons uh, is uh, one of our, our greatest and long-standing indie developers. He is the author of the original uh, Mars Edit. 
um, mm-hmm. which was the RSS. Oh, sorry. Let me, let me back up. MarsEdit is the blogging client that was broken out from his original app, uh, NetNewsWire, which is an mm-hmm. RSS reader. And we used it for many, many years. And it was just the best uh, app for that on the Mac back in the day. Uh, were mm-hmm. you guys NetNewsWire users? Did you use it? Uh, MarsEdit I've used in the past. Okay. Well, MarsEdit, he sold off to Dan Jalkett. Um, yeah. But um, so his company is Ranchero Software, and he's uh, he's he was an indie developer for many years, and then he um, he uh, sold NetNewsWire to uh, Gator NewsGator. That's right, the company's NewsGator, and they mm-hmm. they made a, a an RSS or a number of RSS products uh, that were marketed and sold primarily on Windows, and he joined them, and they bought NetNewsWire. Um, and then, you know, things happened and they sold NetNewsWire to uh, BlackPixel. So BlackPixel currently owns NetNewsWire and they're working on another update. And it's just a huge mess. Mm-hmm. Um, suffice to say, NetNewsWire is kind of up in the air right now. But Brent Simmons, uh, who'd kind of given it up, uh, ended up moving to Omni Software right. in Seattle. They're in Seattle, right? Yes, yeah. that's correct. Okay. And, um, and so he's, he's happily employed there. Now, at the same time, he uh, kind of took on a partnership with Dave Wiskus and John Gruber to start a little thing called QBranch, a very cleverly named um, company. And they made a note-taking app for iOS called Vesper. That launched a couple years ago, and that was iPhone only. And, you know, as time went on, they came together and put up, put up a big syncing engine to, uh, to let them work between iPhone and iPad. And all the word was that he was working on a Mac version as well. And that hasn't mm-hmm. happened yet, but one can hope. However, <laughs> turns out that Brent is retiring from QBranch. He's uh, resigning, I guess, from that partnership. Uh, I think that they're going to continue development of Vesper, but um, mm-hmm. he says that they will. And the reason that Brent is retiring is because he wants to focus instead on his own company again, Ranchero Software. So mm-hmm. he has a couple of products in mind that he's wanting to develop. And in order to do that, he had to quit with QBranch. So this partnership that he had with John Gruber, a great name in the uh, Mac industry, if you want to call it that, uh, mm-hmm. and Dave Wiskus, uh, was was not uh, helping him meet his goals. And this is actually what I what I really like about this piece and what what it says to me. And uh, it's this talk about focus, you know, the idea that if you want to accomplish your goals, then you sometimes just have to say no to something. And I guess, yeah. you know, this is what Apple's taught us, right? You know, a thousand no's for every yes. Uh, true, yeah. true in Apple, true in life, you know. So Brent is just one man and, you know, he's, he's a busy one even, even now having made this decision, decision right? He's, he's still got a full-time job at Omni. Uh, I, I get the feeling that he has some autonomy there to work on his own things, you know, while he's also shipping uh, OmniGraffle and OmniDraw or whatever the heck they make for the Mac. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so, but he's also got time to work on his own business and his, his wife, Sheila, is a partner in that business as well, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of neat. Um, so I just think it's wonderful that, uh, you know, someone who is ex- experienced a developer as, as Brent uh, can make a decision to uh, to focus better on the things that matter to him and mm-hmm. uh, to make the painful decisions to say goodbye to the things that are kind of preventing you from getting there. 
Right. You know, so I think uh, it's a really important lesson. You know, have you guys ever had to make those kinds of decisions? Well, yeah, yes, I have. And, and I was going to point out that or mention that uh, Georgia Dow did the, the keynote speech at uh, NS North and her... Cued up in my magpie. <laughs> anyway, one of, one of the things that she talked about was was the idea of focusing on, on what it is you do and what it is you don't do specifically and, and, lear- and learning how or giving yourself the permission to say, no, I just don't do that. You know, when people ask her to you know, come over to their house and reconfigure their printer drivers, whatever. She just says, no, I don't, I don't do that. Um, whether she has a skill or not is a different story. It's, it's just, that's not what her, her focus is. And, and it's a difficult thing to say no to certain, certain things. I mean, like, you know, I get inundated with all kinds of requests all the time and they take my focus away from what I really want to do, which is building apps. Right. And, um, or teaching people to build apps. And that's, for me, I've had to learn to say no because when, when you're starting out as an entrepreneur and you and you know every every opportunity is an opportunity to make money, um, you end up taking on little tiny jobs because you think that they're, you know, it's a tiny job and I got to do it and I'll make some money and it'll add all up to the big picture. But in reality, smaller jobs with generally have a lot more time suckage in them. Absolutely. It takes, takes you a lot longer to build them. Totally. You know, you're less appreciated for what you do. Um, so it's probably better in your, in to sort of have some sort of minimum, minimum accepted value of anything you do. You know, it either has to reward you financially or reward you spiritually or advance your unique skills. Um, so yeah, you, you do have to say no, and, and uh, it's kudos to to uh, Brent for for not just hang having this thing sit on the back burner and and chew up some brain energy that he that he might have to, might be able to use better somewhere else. Right? Well, that's what happens, you know. You get these you know things that stick in the back of your mind, and you know when you when you've got an hour to spend on a project. You, you right. have to split that hour into four different chunks because you've got all these little things. You know, it's funny that you mentioned uh, that from a freelancing perspective too, you know, because obviously the, the advice applies in so many different ways. Um, the same thing just happened to me, you know, like I've, I have a full-time contract right now and I've, I've even taken on another smaller contract, um, right. but which, which promised consistent small number of hours per week. So it seemed like a right. good idea, but then <laughs> I had an old client who wrote to me and said, you know, I've got just this little thing that I need. Uh, can you, can you do this? And yeah. I just said, nah, there's just no way, you know, like it's but I'll a, buy you a beer. After yeah, that. right. So good. And it looked great on your resume. Yeah, no, no. They, nobody tries that anymore. Thankfully. <laughs> oh, people still try that with me. Oh, good Lord. Oh yeah. yeah. So no, you, that, those are almost easy to say no to, right? Yeah. Um, good lessons. I don't know that I've had quite the dramatic choices that, um, that Brent has, has made here, right? A couple pretty big ones. Um, yeah. but I'm looking at my bookshelf and I'm thinking about some of the, um, the prototypes and other things that I've been noodling around with, but not yeah. focusing on one of those things and really yeah. polishing it and putting it out there or, you know, looking I'm just looking right here right now. So, uh, <laughs> watch kit by tutorials, uh, iOS games by yeah. tutorials, a lot of these that I've barely, I mean, I've looked through them, but haven't really sat down and hammered through them. Yeah. So I've got some game ideas. I've got some watch app ideas i've got other ideas that i'm like yeah at this point i've waited long enough i probably should wait until wwdc comes out and see if i completely rethink some of these yeah now you should yeah, exactly. <laughs> well and and yeah, yeah i have a stack of books that i read and, and it's funny because you know like i said i, I hang out with the ray wonder crew on, on a daily basis right <laughs> 
and it, it, every day there's like some new tutorial that comes out and you're like, oh, should I go look at that? And, you know, it's, it's, it basically, it's very distracting and it's very important as developers to keep, or anybody working in, in any kind of position to keep your, your head focused and your mind on what you're doing right now. And, you know, if the phone rings or an email comes in, something will distract your thought process and takes you out of the space that you need to be in to get the work done that you need to do. Right. So. It's very, it's very difficult to focus on. The, and when you have these little things eating away at you, like, you know, I, I know I, I'm guilty right now. I have this one task that I've had eating away at me on my list of things to do for six months now that I need to get that done. And, and any day now that client is going to call me up and say, so how's it going? And I'm going to go, uh, isn't that a Jaime's line? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Aaron wanted to talk a bit about uh, next week, which is the big uh, giant uh, oh, yeah, right week of super uber focus for ios developers and when all i all all i should turn to san francisco speaking of focus right yeah, yeah. i think we have four and a half sleeps as we record this so yeah you've got one of your countdown timers right i do yeah. yep um so next week is WWDC, and uh, three or at least two of the four of us are not mm-hmm. going to San Francisco, right? Mm-hmm. So we know Jaime's going to be there, and it's possible that Mark will meet Jaime uh, or or make an appearance in San Francisco for a little bit of the yeah. of the week. Um, but my thinking about WWDC, especially in the last couple of years when I've made iOS development my my hundred percent professional bread and butter, sure. um, yeah. is that this is the ultimate professional development week. This is the one mm-hmm. week of mm-hmm. the year where you really ought to not work, not be uh, employed and otherwise engaged and should be sort of knuckled down and absorbing the information that's coming out of Cupertino. Um, and so last year I had a really great time. Um, you know, I, I didn't take any work on at all. I went to my mother's place because she went away to New York City that week. It worked out perfectly, and I was simply holed up for that entire week, uh, plugged into the Apple TV, watching all the videos that came out of San Francisco, um, Mm -hmm. and just absorbing as much as possible. Um, I can't do that this year because I have a client uh, who has something of a serious deadline to meet uh, that I'm working with, and so I've negotiated working half days. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe that it seems like every developer, every iOS developer's responsibility for next week is to find a way to spend some good quality time uh, with the with the videos streaming out of San Francisco if they can't be there. Um, yeah. Is yeah. is that your thinking? And is is what what are your plans to do that? Well, let me say this. Um, I've always, even when I worked in professionally in an office and I had, you know, nine to five sort of responsibilities and, you know, I may be able to go and peek at the the keynotes and kind of stuff like that. I used to always make time for the keynotes for sure. Like whether it was a Mac, key, Mac World keynote or something like that uh, and the iOS ones as well. And since I became a developer, a focused developer in iOS in 2010, I've, I've made it my best effort to get down to WWDC. And I have found that you know, it's an expensive week for developers, but it's one of the most valuable experiences you can you can have if you can actually get to go down there. Um, that said, and and you know, so my plan would have been to do the same thing to to watch the keynote, um, to watch the State of the Union, to try to absorb the videos as much as I can because I know even having gone to WWDC, if I didn't go to a session, I very rarely get the chance through the rest of the year to catch up on that particular video if I need to, you know, unless I unless I need that particular thing for, for a, uh, 
a project I'm working right. on throughout the year. Right, so right. It, you're right. It is totally time when you should, it is professional development day. It should be, the entire iOS community should be given the week off to do nothing else, but to focus on what the new changes are. Cause it, it, every, it, everything affects us during that week. Right? That's right. That said, I'm starting a new job on Monday. <laughs> oh, damn. Wow. So I'm, I'm teaching iOS development to the next round of developers at a boot camp called light, Lighthouse Labs in Toronto, oh, no. starting up its first cohort in, in Toronto. So, fortunately for me, I'm uh, my first Monday is only half day, so I will actually be able to. Either, we'll either probably break out and watch the keynote as a group um, because again, it's an important thing for them too. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I, I I have the basically the Monday off uh, after like afternoon, so I, I should be able to at least catch some of it, or even the State of the Union if it's going to be broadcast live. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll try and absorb as much as I can. And I'm teaching Tuesday and Thursday next week. So I have Wednesday and Friday to catch up on. And of course, I don't need to sleep, right? Who needs to sleep, right? Well, I guess you don't. Um, <laughs> so there's that too. And and also, um, you know, one of the things we're trying to do is we're trying to cover uh, for uh, one of the blogs I write for, we're trying to cover off some of the stuff that, that is happening at WWDC. So I have a commitment to try and get to write up a sort of what's new kind of thing as well. So that's unfortunately for me, like, you know, the one when the the opportunity came up. It, I, I passed by an opportunity that came up in December. And so this other opportunity came up. Actually, Greg, friend of the show, Greg, uh, introduced me to them. And uh looks good. Looks like it's going to be something I'm going to be doing for the next uh, little while. Great. So. Well, I mean, it's good at least that it's the morning, right? Morning on Monday. So, yeah, the yeah. keynote doesn't start until 1 o'clock Eastern. That's true. So you, That's you should true. be okay uh, with any luck. Yeah. It's a funny oh. week for them to start, though, <laughs> knowing that it's WWDC. Yeah, again, again, it's, I think the the uh, the, the school it, the, it's a the school that teaches um, web development as well. They have like a, a, an intensive boot camp. I'm not sure if it's an eight week or twelve week course where you basically it's like one of these you know style, new style of schools or the boot camps where you go and you uh, dedicate you know eight weeks or 12 weeks to a particular study so that by the time you're done, you're employable kind of idea, sort of like a, a you know, a summer college, if you will, mm. kind of, kind of thing. Right. So I guess the, the big point is that, um, if you don't absorb those videos next week, yeah. um, yeah. you, you, you said this, Tim, you almost certainly will not do them. At it all. just, it just, it just happens. Life gets away from get, you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, like my stack of reading list, I've got like on my desk, I've got, probably eight or 10 texts, just like Jaime does, you know, of books that, that I, I, I should get to at some point, you know, um, some of them have gone halfway through and some of them I stopped and, you know, that kind of stuff. So Jaime, are you thinking that you'll, you'll be attending as many of the sessions as you can? Oh, absolutely. Because, yeah. um, last year is, is, is a pretty good example where I did not go and I did not, you know, take time off from work to, Mm-hmm. Um, just really sit and absorb all the information at home or even with, you know, let's say a couple of groups here that, that do the sessions together sort of thing in like a shared office. Um, and I think it really hurt my ability to keep up to date as much as I would have liked to, especially with the explosion of things that came out of Apple for developers that year. Yeah, that was so huge. It, it, it felt like if you didn't catch it at that time, uh, certainly there's a discipline problem that, uh, that I think I'd mentioned before of like, Oh man, like, Oh yeah, I'll get to that tomorrow. I'll get to tomorrow. Oh man. Has it been two months? I haven't looked at that yeah, video. Exactly. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah. Um, and it's so irrelevant it, now. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it's, I think it's really, really good to just take that time. Like there's always going to be, you know, another deadline. There's always going to be other bits. Um, it's a, it's a good time to invest in yourself and in your craft. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's so how I, I think, see it too. 
you know, th this year I'm fortunate enough to be going. I think if I don't yeah. make it into Wonka's chocolate factory next year, uh, <laughs> I'll probably just take the time off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, like when I think last year was the first year where I really truly felt I had to spend, you know, as much time as possible with these things. And, mm -hmm. um, in, in my local area, I put the word out on, uh, our, our taco, uh, member yeah. board and wasn't able to find a lot of interest in getting together in groups to sure. watch the videos. Um, which, which struck me as weird. And, you know, what you said, Jaime, about last year, your, um, you, you just worked, you know? Um, yeah. so, you know, your employer didn't really consider WWDC an important professional development opportunity either then. I take it. Well, they didn't push me on it. I mean, like I didn't ask, right? No. And, and mm -hmm. looking back, it was like, yeah, I probably should have asked for the, the week off to do that. And I yeah. think they might have been uh, amenable to it. I, I don't remember exactly what was going on that specific week. Maybe we did have a huge deadline. Um, but let's say we did. I think it still could have been a negotiated sort of thing. Like, hey, yeah, you know, I'll work like a half day each of the days to keep some level of productivity uh, marching forward, but then also still have a big chunk of time to invest in this. And it, it's right. good for the business itself, too. Of course right? it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, any enlightened business that wants to invest in the training of their workers. I mean, this is the opportunity that everyone's yeah, going to sure. be at. So, uh, you know, for anyone who's listening, you know, it's obviously going to be quite late <laughs> in the game by the time this is published. The idea is that, like, if you're employed in iOS, uh, you know, you should try to arrange for some time off during the week so that you can, you can watch as many yeah. of these videos as oh, you yeah. can. And I guess that's the point I was trying to make. Um, so, uh, that's the so news didn't, there. Didn't, uh, didn't, was there a taco group downtown Toronto that got together and, and watched them last year? I thought there was a notice that went out. Uh, well, that's, you might be remembering what I was trying to set up. Um, oh, maybe. Yeah. Okay, and, maybe, uh, maybe. it just fizzled. Nothing, nothing. Really? Yep. Yeah. Well, for anybody who's heading down to San Francisco for AltConf, apparently they have one of the they're they're holding their conference at a theater, and I think the folks at the release notes are um, putting on um, a theater-sized uh, room, which is for free. It's, you don't have to pay for it to go and and watch the keynote on mass. So you can actually go to the uh, AltConf uh, theater. I think it's I want to say the the children's theater children's museum theater across from Kitty Corner from. From, or no, it's at the Metreon, I think, right? Yeah, AltConf is at the Metreon this year. So it's right across the street from, from uh, Moscone Center. So if you're there and you want to go see the keynote with a bunch of people, there's, they're, they're doing a screening at, uh, at the Metreon for that as well. Well, that's, that's fine for the keynote. I mean, that's a public session, you know? Like, and yeah. that's, that's not the no, thing I mean, that you're I mean, taking the time off too. Any, any, any of the Any of those other stuff that's going to be streamed live is going to be in that same theater All right. as well. Yeah. How are they going to, like, who's going to argue over the remote on that one, right? It's like, you know, there's three different sessions that you can watch. <laughs> Which one's going to be on this screen? <laughs> yeah, they'll play rock, paper, scissors, yeah. lizard, spark, Spock, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's from the Big Bang Theory, isn't it? That is from the Big Bang Theory. Was it, was it rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock? Yeah, exactly. You, you nailed it. <laughs> Perfect. What do you know? All right, so we'll go around the table like we usually do every week, and we'll see if anybody has any picks. And so we'll start with Jaime. Do you have any picks, Jaime? I do, and we already had the spoiler alert earlier. It's oh, Google no. Photos for iOS. OMG! <laughs> wow, I, I would never have thought you would pick that. Let me tell you what it does, and then I'll talk about some of the calculus that went into how did I choose this app? How did I decide yeah. to use it? based upon our earlier conversation. Defend um, yourself! Yeah, yes. with Tim What's-His-Face and, and the Google and Twitter <laughs> and Facebook conversation. <laughs> Friend of the show, Tim What's-His-Face. Exactly. 
Um, yeah. So it's nifty app. So the idea is Google is giving you what's effectively unlimited storage space, right? There are some caveats, mm-hmm. like it's got to be, I think, 12 megapixels and under 16. for these these files. But if, yeah. you know, if you're hitting like SLR type quality, this probably is not the service for you. You're much closer to prosumer or professional, right? But for right. the vast majority of people walking around with iOS devices and you're snapping photos of your grandkids, you're snapping photos of your food that you're eating, um, this is free, unlimited storage for your photos. And the experience in the app is really neat because it will automatically sync the photos um, from your photo album that you've uh, given it permission to do. And uh, they've got a really cool um, searching mechanism within the app where you can, you know, it tries to do with like some of the collections things that happen in, in the photo stream that iOS does, where mm-hmm. it says, here, we've segregated this by time. We've segregated this by place. We've even identified things like these are people, these are things. Uh, it recognizes pictures of me and my friends. It recognizes, you know, pictures of my dog, you know, it's, 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 yeah, events. Yeah. 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 And, and it's a really great searching experience. And it also has a, you know, of course, an Android experience that's much more seamlessly integrated uh, on their platform. And it also has a web experience. So I can just go to, you know, I forget the web address. <laughs> There's so a, photos.google.com. Yeah. And, and it's great. And so I can see everything. It's so fast. The, the videos stream as if they were right here on my device. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. incredible what they've done there. And it's all yeah. for free. Um, great material design kind of experience as well. Now, we <laughs> did have all of that really great conversation about like, yeah, the, the iCloud stuff is a ridiculous amount of money for a pathetic amount of storage. And it's, it's, it's really kind of difficult to lay your claim to like, yeah, I'm going to be sure that everything is, is stored and is happy and hunky dory. Um, I'm fully aware of the sorts of things that Google could hypothetically do and maybe even does for all I know with my data. And I decided or is totally that, planning to do. Yeah, exactly. And, and it could do in the future, you know, who, who knows, you know, shareholder pressure, uh, rogue agent, uh, like a Snowden type thing that we're talking about. Um, product manager gone wild, that sort of stuff could happen. Um, and I decided for the kinds of photos that I'm taking and keeping and doing everything with, it really doesn't matter that much to me, right? Like well, that said, I'm just looking at mine right now and I'm looking, I see some photos that it sunk that I don't want on the internet. So, so that's, that's a good point, right? So this is the context for everybody, right? So I've decided like for the kinds of photos that I I tend to take. I'm like, yeah, there's no nude pictures of me on my iPhone. So whatever, here you go. <laughs> you want to shove this into an ad? Great. That's my dog. <laughs> that's fine. You know, I'm, I wouldn't be happy, right. If that turns into the million dollar ad campaign or something, but I'm not going to be flabbergasted by it. And so that's right. what went into the calculus of why am I choosing this? Why am I okay with this? I would definitely prefer to have it come from Apple, even if I had to pay for it. Right. So even if it wasn't free from Apple, but if it was just more, you know, much more reasonable, yet yeah, many, many more gigabytes, maybe even looking into the terabyte range for the amount of money that they're looking to charge. So in any case, that's my pick of the week. Go try it out. I, I'm, I'm amazed at how well it works, <laughs> considering that Google's hands are kind of handcuffed by what the iOS platform allows them to do, right? They don't have the seamless integration into every little bit of the system like they do on Android. And it's still right, a very good right. experience. One of the things I really like about photos for iOS and Mac is the, its cross-platform nature, right? Um, the great thing about having photos for Mac is that it could take your iPhoto library and 
just yank it right in, you know? And so mm-hmm. for the very first time when Photos for Mac became available and connected it to iCloud uh, photo storage, um, I, for the first time, had complete access to my entire history of photos, you know, tens of thousands of them going back, you know, 15, 20 years, ever since I started taking digital photos um, and videos too, right? Um, all at once and automatically at all my devices. Now, as you said, Jaime, I had to pay for an increased amount of storage um, on on uh, iCloud. So I think now I'm paying, uh, what is it, $8? Something like that? Anyway, um, to get the amount of storage that I need to so you store So you store your photos on, on Apple's server? On iCloud, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So it's iCloud photo library, right? And so this is uh-huh. the... the sort of cloud-based mechanism that syncs between iPhone, iPod, iPad, and, and Mac. So, um, and that includes like everything in all its original sizes. So um, having that, I think is, is, it was a revelation for me because I can now on anything I have, go back and look at, you know, videos of my daughter when she was two years old and my God, nothing will blow you away like that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And of course, Google does this as well and they do it for free, you know, so wonderful. Um, but what Google lacks, right, as, as I understand it, is a desktop client, right? That's correct. And then they and... have a website, mm-hmm. but, you know, so um, I guess the, the sort of uh, getting started experience, the onboarding, if you want to call it that, uh, would be to do some kind of massive import from iPhoto or, our, or photos into their service. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. It's exactly what happens when I give it access to my photo album. It went through a syncing process to slurp up all of my, my data. It gave me really good feedback as to what was going on. Uh, and that was, was on your Mac? snappy. No, this is on my, my iPhone. Okay. Yeah, but so did you have like a big iPhoto library or a photos library? You know, I really didn't because I I generally don't keep everything on there. And I've you know not really used the, uh, the iCloud version of things. Um, Partially due to the cost and also partially due to, you know, to be quite honest, a, a lack of trust in Apple's ability to maintain <laughs> that data, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they, yeah. they just don't get network services. They don't know how to do them as well as something like Google, right? We, we saw that happen with the Yosemite and iOS 8 iCloud Drive stuff that like would never happen with Google, right? Like yeah. Google gets network services. That's their entire business. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, we we talk about that a lot. Um, I, I, but I would posit that Apple is is improving very quickly at this stuff. Indeed. Um, and I think uh, you know when we saw at Dub Dub last year the introduction of CloudKit, upon which this whole photos infrastructure is based, that shit is solid. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've we've seen that again and again. You know, in in my own development on that platform, and in uh, the way that Photos has rolled out. Uh, very reliably um, that we haven't heard people saying that they've lost their stuff. Um, so, um, you know, when, when Apple talks about iCloud, um, you know, they're, su- they're po- supposed to communicate it as a single unified service. Uh, in reality, iCloud is uh, a goddamn, you know, thistle uh, weed of services <laughs> with branches all over the place. You know, <laughs> right, right. Um, it has all kinds of different things going on. So, um, I think it's fair to say that, you know, we can, as developers and as intelligent observers, we can, we can look at uh, CloudKit 
and say that that is something completely separate and new and competent from Apple um, and still throw shade on, say, uh, Core Data Sync, right, mm-hmm. um, which, which is a dog, right? Um, but, you know, I think the signs are there that Apple is getting this stuff, and I think they're going to get it faster than Google gets, say, user experience. Oh, that's interesting. So I, I would agree that, that you're right and that they are getting better. Um, I think, you know, since they had so many missteps and really large, sizable missteps, that's why I may be slightly paranoid, but, you know, it's a branding issue nonetheless, where it's like, great, I love Apple stuff. Network services, not so much. I, I need them to show me more that they're able to handle and handle this seamlessly, right? Like I need to just know that this stuff has synced. And I have that trust in Google. I don't yet have it with Apple because I've, I've really? been, hmm. you know, we've been burned by it in the past. So I'm like, okay, I got to give it a little bit longer of a, a positive track record without too many yeah. bumps and bruises before I'm like, okay, forget Google. I'm just going to go pure Apple because the, the integrated experience is obviously going to be much better. And I, I would love to see that. And I would suggest that you use, use photos for Mac. I mean, this app is amazing. Um, and the new photos, the, the new, new photos, photos for Mac. Yeah. It just came out of right. beta and, um, I'm not sure that we talked about it on the show or not, but, no. um, if you have a significant photo library, um, and you import your photos into this thing and you can very easily, uh, scan through tens of thousands of photos. Like, I mean, they really knocked it out of the park with this one, mm. uh, and backed up by the iCloud file, uh, photo library. Uh, this is a very compelling product. And so, yes, Jaime, I'm totally with you that Apple has uh, a long way to go to earn the respect of the populace when it comes to their cloud services. But this baby is is a sure strike in that direction. They they've they've really started to figure it out. Well, it's interesting uh, from my perspective. I, unlike Jaime, I keep all of my photos on my cameras. I have like on my phone. I have. The first shot I ever shot on an iPhone on my on my camera or my my sorry my <laughs> my iPhone to this day, um, and but there's another cool thing that that Google does. I don't know if you've if you've seen it yet, Jaime, but with the they take like uh, similar photos that are um, similar photos that are the same or similar like similar events and whatever, and they stitch them together and turn them into like little mini movies and stuff like that, which is kind of cool. Um, and they do like little sort of storybooks. You know, they've they've done some some intelligent scanning of your photos. I mean, the only concern I have about this, and again, it comes back to why I don't, I don't use Apple's um, cloud services to back my stuff up is again, I'm from Missouri too. I like to look and see that it's actually on the Mac and, um, and manage my own backups myself. Right. But the question that comes up about Google and again, what, what Tim Cook was just talking about, about privacy and, you know, and putting these photos up onto a cloud system that at the end of the day, I'm not paying anything for. So what, and what rights of privacy am I giving up to Google? Are they now able to go in and index every photo that I've, I've uploaded to the service? Are they able to go in? Like if I've, you know, I, I may not know, I may have, been at Macworld and taking a picture of, uh, I'm looking at right now at a, at a, at a, a cluster of journalists because I went one time on a press pass. And, you know, how do I know that I haven't picked up somebody in here who's going to get indexed and into some giant search engine somewhere, right? It's a fair point. And I think it, it is interesting to think about. Um, I don't know if this is actually a true statement um, or if it's just 
a rumor that this hasn't been said, but let's go back to Steve Jobs supposedly talking to Dropbox and saying, hey, your stuff is great, but it's pretty yeah. much just a feature. Um, I think he's right. Dropbox has pretty much not been able to go out beyond the basic file system syncing that they do and and storage mm-hmm. system pieces. They, they've tried to do some things like Carousel and a few other things to expand out. Of course, mm-hmm. they've got Dropbox for business and so forth. But they pretty much are a really, you know, really well done feature that nobody else has really been able to dislodge them, right? Even Google, for example, with Google Drive, Google Drive is not as good as Dropbox. Everything that Apple does with its stuff is not as good as Dropbox. Um, it seems like a nice acquisition target for somebody like an Apple. It's like, hey, here's somebody you've already talked to. Here's somebody who clearly gets it and can help speed you along in terms of understanding network services. Um, so I don't know, hopefully, hopefully things will get there, right? Like, so it's, what's, hmm? yeah. So what's interesting here is, is one of the, one of the concerns I had about syncing this service to my, to my phone initially when, when it came out last week was my, I heard somewhere that, you know, it will remove phone images from your phone. And I kind of, I, I may, may have misinterpreted that statement. Um, but as I'm going through this list of photos that I've now allowed it to slurp into my um, into their system, as you said, um, I'm finding things like I said that I don't think I want on the internet anywhere. Like they're, you know, I may have used sometimes I use the, the Photos app to take to make notes of things, right? Um, as and as I'm deleting elements off of this uh, web interface here, it's telling me that it's going to also remove them from my phone. You know, which again, you know. I don't want them on the web, but I may want them on my phone. <laughs> so there's a couple of different things that I think I heard there. One is, uh, you're right, there is a smart caching system where yeah. it tries to intelligently know, okay, look, I've only got X amount of space on this phone. I can't possibly fit every high-quality photo on here. So I'm going to keep only the ones that you're likely to have used or, yeah. or to use, right, either ones you've recently used, you know, yeah. looked at, or ones that you're like likely to look at. You looked at photo one, you're probably going to look at the next photo in the album, right? Yeah. That sort yeah. of thing. And then it swaps them out in and out um, seamlessly and very quickly and intelligently. That's that's sort of what it's trying to do. So that's, yeah. that's where you have to have some level of trust that, hey, when it removes that photo, that photo still exists in the cloud and Somewhere, will yeah. continue yeah. to be there so you don't lose pictures of like your family sort of thing. But then yeah. there's the other thing that you said there, and that's, well, there are certain things I don't want on the internet. And now that's an interesting trust statement, right? Because yeah. I certainly yeah. feel the same way about a lot of stuff. Um, I certainly don't have as much trust in Apple's ability to maintain and protect this stuff, if only because of the snafu that happened, not with the fappening, with the the, the misnomer and and red herring that we had, but with iTunes connect where people were logged in as other people and where I myself have seen myself logged in as somebody else back when WWDC tickets were a free for all at 10 AM kind of thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Like I don't have that trust. We've not had that experience with Google, for example, right. Um, even Microsoft with its Azure system and Amazon with its systems, they've not had these snafus. So there's, there's certainly a level of trust is like, okay, I think inevitably all things will probably be net connected, right? So you may think, okay, great. Well, it's it's not in the internet. It's not in the cloud. Like I have, like I have some measure of control. It might be false control, right? There's a real serious bug out there for iMessage that like 
keeps iMessage crashing, right? How hard would it be, hypothetically speaking here, to like say, oh, you think that thing is only there? Great. Well, we've hacked into your iPhone. We've broken through the security. It happens all the time. Not to that level, but there are other security breaks that happen, right? People getting past lock screens and other stuff. So you could see, hypothetically, a remote attacker could get access to that photo and you thought that it was safe for the internet. No, well, it's not. You may have synced it there, but your phone is actively talking to the internet. So there's still an opening for somebody to get in. Yeah. And well, it's like you sort of said too before, um, like, you know, with services like Flickr and Instagram, I know that when I put something up on those services that, that the world can see them or, you know, for the most part, you know, unless I go in and lock them out or whatever, that kind of stuff. I know a couple of photographers who use Flickr and, you know, you need to ask their permission to look at their pictures, but um, yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing. Like, like, so really, I mean, like, can you go and look at my photos on, on Google? That's the, I guess the question I have, right. Um, or, or do I have to invite you in to look at them? Cause I mean, obviously I'm logged into Google with my Google account, right. My Gmail account, but, um, you know, how does, how does that work with, with, uh, with other people? Like, is this stuff really on the web? I mean, or is it protected by SSL and encrypted and all that kind of stuff like uh, Mr. Cook was saying in his speech earlier today or yesterday? Right. So I, I definitely would have a, a lot of great faith in Google itself for, <laughs> for maintaining that protection because they've shown that they're very good at doing the keeping up. And their motto is do no stuff. evil, right? I mean, no, well, that's a different thing, right? That's <laughs> I'm talking about like I, I have great faith that they will protect the data from rogue you know, external entities. What I don't have as much great faith on is, you know, what will Google do as a public company who has advertising as its revenue model and not yeah. getting money from people paying for products as its revenue model. Right. Yeah. 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 What do you think, Aaron? You're the bystander here. Yeah. Well, uh, you guys are stating all of the positions. Uh, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that Google Photos exists to sell content against ads, uh, users using their own data to target mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. That's just what it's for. Just like uh, Gmail. I mean, uh, a Google exec said himself uh, that you can think of Google Photos as uh, Gmail for your photos. Um, and uh, it was it was not long before Gmail had ads running alongside that were contextually relevant. Well, and then there's also, there's also, exactly, you mean to, to what's in, actually in your In your, in your email, email, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, they did say they did say earlier in this. I mean, it wasn't, I guess, obvious to a lot of people because most people hit the whatever button when they see some legal disclaimer. But um, that that Google does have the right, they think, to look through your email, right, or to scan your email for content. That's right? exactly why it's free. Is that they yeah. they do read your email? I mean, not humans, yeah. algorithms, right? But yeah, you yeah, know, that's what it's all about. And you know, like Google's doing more than Apple ever will do. You know, in terms of parsing the content of your photographs, right, um, right. you know, and but that's that's not to help you sort it. Although it's a nice byproduct, uh, it is <laughs> it is to learn about what uh, your what your world looks like, so that they can sell yeah. you shit. Yeah, well, and but does not not that I mean does not not lead to the sort of NSA and the um, homeland security stuff. That, Absolutely, that, uh, it does. So you know, up, you know, you can assume that the information that Google is parsing about you uh, is fully accessible to the NSA. Right, because right. they've demonstrated through a number of programs revealed by Edward Snowden that right. the NSA has full access to Google, Google's data. Do they? They do. Mm. You mean they, they've set up, uh, they've got servers that, uh, that sit in between their data centers, in their data centers. They get through their SSL. Um, 
they, they have access to all their stuff. So you can just assume that the NSA has access to all your stuff on Google. I'm sure Jaime doesn't mind. It's just his homies. So it's fine. Yeah, well, Merica on that one. Merica. Merica. Let's do your let me pick, go. Tim. Let me go look at Tim's, you know, private photos here. <laughs> Help me out here, Obama. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, I use my, I use my, uh, my, my camera on my phone as a note-taking device. So I, I've mentioned that before. I talked about Evernote before, right? You know, so if I'm at the bank and I forgot to scan a check before I d- deposited it, I want to send it off to my account so he knows it's coming. I'll take a picture of that check. Well, guess what? They showed up on Google, right? Not in Google search, but in, in the Google Google app. So, I mean, it was a little, bit, a little disconcerting when I saw that. Um, okay, so my pick this week is actually an app that just came out of, uh, came out on the app store, I think, last night. Um, from and it's from the people, folks at Martian Craft, and it's called Request and or Re colon for short. Um, it's spelled Re Re colon Quest, um, and it's basically their first sort of um, attempt to build an app for the watch specifically. Um, and it's basically it's it's a lot of other apps do this sort of thing where you have a chat question you can post. And I think Apple has uh, in the watch kit, if I'm not mistaken, in the messaging app, there's a yes, no and thank you kind of uh, canned response. And you can edit those things in your watch app. So this is the same kind of thing. You create a, a connection with another person who has the same app request and, you know, you connect to them um, and you, you know, get permission to connect with them. And then you can ask them questions like, you know, um, you know, are, what kind of, do you want to grab some food tonight? What are you interested in Mexican, Indian, or I don't know uh, what else is there burgers. Right. Um, and then they can just basically quickly answer back on their watch. And so all this, all the, the device does is it's it, the original intention of the app is to send a message to your question to your friend that gives them this one quick answer thing. And the, and the, an interview that Rob Ron gave to uh, somebody at TechCrunch, Sarah Perez, um, he stated that, you know, they were trying to um, get rid of the sort of circular conversation. You know, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, you know, the circular conversation. So so it's basically give somebody, you know, what do you want to do tonight? And here are three options. Right. And then, you know, they can yes, no, or, or the other thing kind of thing. Very simple, quick little question to answer question thing. But I, one of my friends is uh, one of the developers on it. It was 12 developers that worked on it, half of them in the UK and half in the US. Seriously? Yes. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah. Well, well it, may, it may be that there was uh, 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 you know, designers and coders and that kind of stuff. And the, um, but as Rob Ryan says in the interview, it was their first attempt to sort of create a, a watch app. But then they found out that it actually, because most of their apps that they currently have, they didn't have any apps in their stable that led themselves to becoming watch apps or to ha- or w- couldn't benefit from having a watch specifically. So they came up with this idea to build a watch app. And then as a, as a side note to that, they also discovered that the watch or sorry, the app itself actually le- does run very well on, a, on a, an iPhone device by itself. So you don't have to have a watch to use the app, in other words, right? But what's interesting under the hood, though, is it uses... Um, CloudKit as the login mechanism. So it's super simple to get hooked up on this thing and get up and running. Like, you know, because you're already logged into cloud, into, the, into iCloud, you know, bingo, bango. I'm sure, isn't that similar to how your 
Magpie is going to work with login, Aaron? CloudKit includes uh, a login authentication system, uh, so you can adopt the iCloud account system in your given app. So from that point of view, it was it was basically um, fairly quick to get people up and running. So they wanted to remove all the hurdles to try and get this, you know, quick little question and a couple of, you know, maybe three option answers uh, to people um, and that kind of thing. So it's kind of a cool little app. I've been playing around with it uh, all day with a couple of friends of mine. Um, let's have to see where it goes in terms of in terms of whether it actually has some usability. It's it's as you know, we've been playing around with our watches for a couple of weeks with this same group of uh, folks. And, um, you know, we send each other little heart drawings and, you know, taps and that kind of stuff is, as you know, because the, the digital touch sort of has, you know, doesn't have doesn't have legs per se. Right. But it's kind of fun to play around with. Um, but so this is sort of taking it to the next sort of level, you know, um, just playing around with this thing. So it's kind of a kind of a neat little quick little way of getting stuff in there. But that said. You had a conversation with Rob Ryan earlier today on Twitter, did you not, Aaron? Yeah. Um, well, when this this thing uh, had a teaser video uh, probably a few weeks ago, and okay. that, that video is still live on their homepage. So um, the first one, and it just basically shows an iMessage conversation where um, two people are talking about what to have for dinner. Do you know that, that canonical yeah. <laughs> use case for this app somehow? Um, you know, what do you want? <laughs> I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. Well... Okay, so, and then you're waiting, and the answer to this is somehow request. And I was mystified. You know, I got nothing from that video. I had no idea what the hell it was about. And then uh, last night, Rob Ryan posts that uh, the, the site's live and the app is live. And here's okay. a second video. And the second video shows how it works. So yeah. instead of saying, what do you want, you know, for dinner? I don't know what you want for dinner. I don't know what you want for dinner. You know, instead of that. You actually get your ass in gear and offer some suggestions. So you speak into your watch. Would you like Chinese, Indian, or Italian for dinner tonight? You know, and and it parses it out and shows those three options as buttons that you can hit. Right? Well, why the hell didn't you just do that in iMessage, you jerk? <laughs> okay. Why do you? Okay. So you got a button. So that's that's what this app does. And um, okay. So I said to Rob, I said, um, you know, because we had a Twitter conversation about it where I had expressed my confusion about this app. Um, and he, you know, uh, laid it out for me. And so I, I get it now. I get it. Um, but I'm, I'm still left with this so what feeling. Yeah. And he, he responded, you got a lot to do with this app. Um, you ever thought about like a choose your own adventure? And I thought, mm. oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that'd be kind of. But how would that work? And like, who would actually do that? And would, mm -hmm. would they hook up some bot to, to do a choose your own adventure? And now I'm playing a choose your own adventure on my phone, my watch. And, and, oh wait, but I got things to do. I don't have time to play a game on my watch. And, mm -hmm. you know, so that's, that's actually not interesting to me either. So what, what, what is the purpose of this thing? I don't understand it. And then of course, of course, because, you know, the, uh, the in crowd on the, uh, Mac web, if you will, mm -hmm. um, you know, this is getting, you know, press all over the place. Mm -hmm. uh, including this podcast. Including this podcast, uh, which is why I'm making all these snarky noises, uh, or at least I was <laughs> while you were talking. Um, because I just know, I know, damn it, that when, when I try to talk to these same people to, to publish, publicize Magpie, they're going to be nothing. Vacuum. Zero. Really? Yeah, because mm. I'm not Rob Ryan. 
That's true. You're not Martian craft. No, I'm not Martian craft, and I'm not any of the in crowd. And uh, so it's good for Marco. I mean, yeah, exactly. (laughs) This is all fine for for Rob. This is fine for Martian craft. Um, But I'm not seeing this app. I'm not getting this app. And you know. Um, if I may continue on this rant uh, and, sure. and take it in a slightly different direction, there was another app called uh, Pinpoint, and this this is a uh, a redo of Marco's app, uh, Bugshot. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? He came yeah. up with this. It's a screenshot and annotation app called Bugshot. He made it available initially as like a one dollar app for the iPhone, um, and then ended up giving it away. And then uh, BetaWorks was it? No, not BetaWorks. It was uh, Matthew Matthew Bischoff. Yes, um, you know, in his his little startup that he he started, and he asked Marco if they could rebrand uh, Bugshot. He gave them permission, and they came out with this Pinpoint, which is basically the same app, um, and it's got little clever in-app purchases there. You can buy colors to annotate with, mm-hmm. and you couldn't go anywhere on the web that day without hearing about this app, mm. and. You know, again, it's it's an app that's been around for well over a year. Um, nobody was really interested in it then, but uh, now everybody's talking about it. I don't get it. Bugshot? It, it was called Bugshot. It's now called Pinpoint. Okay, I've never heard of it. Yeah. Well, you're not on the web, you know? That, Just you, for the record. You're, we're working. <laughs> you're, you're a busy man. Hi, <laughs> me. Back me up here. Is it Pinpoint? So, I mean, I, I, I think you do have very good points. I think I, I yes, agree with a lot of them. I think I look at this as a slightly different perspective because I'm, you know, I'm not an indie dev, so my perspective is 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 less on the like, man, it really sucks that you know I'm unable to get this thing to have traction because I'm not fortunate enough to have the connections or do other things and so forth, and I'm totally cognizant of that. And um, I do remember signing up for the uh, the um, rem- you know, let me know when this is available, which was never sent to me. So I'm shocked that I saw traffic about this on Twitter before I got an email for a mailing list I signed up for. And You're talking about request? Yeah. And there's broken, there's broken links on the, um, on the blog post that you link to, uh, as of this writing or as of this huh. recording and, uh, the videos, like half of them didn't work on the, on the first day that I went to go look at what oh, request really, was. Eh? Right. So that, that's kind of problematic. Um, the concept seems interesting. And nice. Um, it'd be nice if this was, you know, Sherlocked by Apple. Like this is what iMessage itself should do to your point. Like it does a little bit of that, but it doesn't go far enough. Like yeah. you know, what this does. So maybe there's an opportunity here. Um, in terms of the, you know, helping stuff out, I think, you know, we're, we're not as big of a player, of course, as like accidental tech podcast, the ATP type folks, we don't, or, you know, John Gruber daring fireball. We don't move the earth every time we, have an utterance from uh, up mm-hmm. on top of the mountain, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're a much more, of course, um, our sponsors aren't listening to this. So no, I mean, but it's, it's a fair <laughs> point, right? Like setting expectations. We're the great scrappy underdog and yeah. we've made Good some scrappy. wonderful connections. We've met some wonderful Filthy people. Animals. Um, certainly I've met them in person at like, you know, around Seattle or in, in S North and other places. It's mm-hmm. totally fantastic. Um, so I think we can do kind of our part to help out, um, you know, folks at our level, right? And certainly we've mm-hmm. done that. We've pointed out independent apps that uh, are out there and, and great and friends of the show that we really love uh, who aren't, you know, the upper echelon of, of the areas that we're in, but are kind of more like middle tier, maybe even lower tier, kind of closer to where, you know, scrappy underdogs live. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think a fairly good example is, you know, even something like Magpie, like we've talked about it and it's been, I think, very valuable for our listeners to understand the struggles and the choices and everything that go into it. It still happens to be free advertising for it as well. So I think there's a nice, happy, uh, symbiotic relationship that's going on there. Truly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I you know, like I'm complaining about not getting press, but obviously I haven't even tried yet, right? So I mean, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's grossly unfair to complain about. It. It's just uh, you know a feeling. Well, I mean, and to be honest with you, like the thing about it is, is, I came at it from like I said, I mentioned it because a friend of mine who I converse with on an almost daily basis um, worked on the product, and and I had to be honest with you, I'd forgotten he worked for Martian Craft. He only joined them a little while ago. Um, you know, but this is a sort of interesting, interesting how to get a, an app from idea to, to the app store in like seven weeks kind of thing and or whatever it was, 12 weeks that they spent on it. It wasn't very, very long, but, um, you know, and, and it, it is it from from a fundamental point of view. Um, it's a simple app. It does a very it's a very basic has a very basic purpose in being. Um, and it has, you know, it's taking maybe an idea that like, I'm, you're right. Cause iMessage does have this sort of quick answer thing, but it's yes, no, or thank you. Right. Or a little smiley face or something. Well, if you if, actually, if you, uh, format your message in such a way as to allow iMessage to parse it out. So like if you said in an iMessage, do you want Chinese or Italian? It will actually offer those options as buttons, as buttons. Oh, okay, cool. That's yeah. good to know. Like, I mean, yeah. that's what Apple advertised when they, when they marketed the watch. Oh, okay. I must have missed that. But, um, but it, yeah, so, I mean, so that, that has some functionality and, and, you know, we've, in some of the apps that I've talked about where we have, you know, messaging for couples and that kind of stuff, we've talked about building in a sort of quick mechanism where, you know, a little menu would slide up from the bottom and you would go, yes, no, or the other thing, whatever, you know, I'll be home in five minutes or yes, I'll pick up the milk or whatever, whatever the, the couple conversation needs to be. Um, and, and it, it is a very small purpose app. And I mean that, you know, we, we, you know, the Martian crafts of the world are the ones that are usually building the bigger, more sophisticated apps and as they well have. And, and so, and, and successfully, right. So, right. but, but this is a good example of an app that that's got a very singular purpose or simple purpose, if you will. Um, and they've, they've executed it with a couple of options. It had, doesn't have a whole lot of bells and whistles, you know, it's not, uh, wasn't over-engineered the way Marco's first shot at overcast for the watch was right. Uh, where he had to go back to the drawing board and rethink it. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. Mind you, mind you, admittedly, he also didn't have any clue what it was actually going to perform like till he got it onto a watch. Right. Indeed. Uh, which was part of the problem. Right. So, um, so it, it, it's an interesting execution of a very simple idea. And I think that's what gets lost in a lot of, a lot of indie developers uh, that I talk to and see some of their apps um, that they're working on are, are sometimes overcomplicated. They're trying to put too much stuff in there. Like I've, I've actually coined a new phrase for a couple of apps that I've been hired to work on. I call them kitchen sink apps where basically sink is spelt with a Y, but for all intents and purposes, they have everything but the kitchen sink in it, Yeah, you know? Um, whereas this is a, you know, if you're going to build a chat, if you want to have chat feature in your app or you want to have messaging feature in your app, maybe you should just make a messaging app or you should just make a chat app. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than trying to have, you know, the bus schedule and the, you know, the, how to fix your cat and, you know, send a message and do a chat, you know, in one app. Right. 
Anyway, so it's a good execution. It's interesting. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Obviously, unfortunately, because it's Martian Croft, it will get more press coverage than the rest of the world. Okay, we'll, well, let's let's back up. That's not unfortunate, right? <laughs> Martian Craft, you know, for its size and quality, they're a good company. And, you know, they, they deserve the coverage that they get because of their name. They've earned that. And um, I don't want to rag on these guys too bad because... No, this is me doing it, not you. <laughs> yeah. You're the one who made the pick. So... Um, I would just like to say that, you know, these guys know what they're doing. And um, this this release made me scratch my head, you know, like it was mm-hmm. not a clear and obvious use case uh, for this app to exist. And you're right, Tim, it is very small and very confined um, mm. and, and I'm sure quite polished. And I th- I think that this is actually a fascinating product in one sense. And that is what what can a company do? Uh, with a very small app and a very uh, simple app, you know, mm-hmm. how can they make it something that's interesting and useful? And so over time, I think we'll get a better answer to that question. Mm-hmm. And so that's why um, I'd like to pay attention to it. But yes, when I look at this product right now, um, I really do wonder what the heck I would even use it for. And I, I <laughs> well, frankly, wouldn't use it. But that's just me. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, we'll we'll see how it plays out over time. And and as I as I the analogy I used was was the digital touch thing. I mean, you know, I have probably five or six friends who were like the first people with watches on the market. You know, and basically have added them. I mean, you have your watch, right? Oh man, I, I've had. Do you not? I thought you listened to the episodes. Uh... Before it goes out, man, like you should know that here I'm going to troll you. I'm going to troll you right now, live live trolling with my heartbeat. Atta boy, because we're such good friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do I know? I've got Aaron Bay on my watch, but I don't have you. <laughs> anyway, so so I have a I have a small group of, of of friends that we have on here, and we know we just you know we like to say we send pictures of tanks to each other. That's an inside joke, but um, you know we you know. Not including us. When, when you when you want to show somebody what oh look at this, Jaime's just sent me his heartbeat. Oh nice, astounding. <laughs> well, so my point is that you know we have so we've been playing with digital touch, right? So yes, but it, it has it has it has absolutely zero longevity in my opinion. Yeah, it's a stupid stupid idea, right? But it's kind of cool when you want to explain to somebody what your watch is for. You know, nine times out of ten, I tell them it's about doing triage on my phone. You know, my big giant iPhone six that you know I have a hard time pulling out of my pocket, and and being able to respond to things and deal with stuff quickly. And that kind of stuff is great, right? So this request to me is just another one, another type of digital touch that we'll see how it how it plays out. Is what I was what I was going in terms of saying that it, it you know I don't see I'm not saying it's a killer killer app. I'm saying it's a it's a good app for my pick because it's it's timely and um, it's it's a very like a, a good example of a simple watch app that other developers who listen to our show could look at and evaluate whether that's something that they could do, right? As opposed to trying to build the next Facebook, mm. right? So oh, I'll probably end up trying this because it's, you know, it's small enough. <laughs> I've only sent you three requests today, Jaime. <laughs> Did you send me those? Okay, because I was a little confused because it's all like, you're invited to blah. It's like, well, I'm, I'm accustomed to apps just, you know, randomly doing that uh, on oh, are users' you? Okay. behalf. So I, right, I didn't right. recognize the name because it had been enough time that I, I just forgot about it. So way, the way it works is, is when you, when you're in, when you're in either click on your profile on the phone or whatever, and you say share with friends, it sends um, a quick URL with an ID at the end of it. And that's the ID of the person who's inviting you to, to be their friend as it were. Right. Um, you accept that, that ID, then it creates the relationship and it sends back to me saying, okay, Jaime has accepted your thing. You would confirm and 
So there is a confirmation. You can't just, you know, hook up with anybody you want, right? Oh, but, so, it, so it uses a friend invite code system and not yeah, a username yeah. system. Exactly. So, so you, I don't know what you saw earlier today. I'll send you one, one right now. This app and I go, oh, so I have to click. So you click on, you click on your face, which is your profile. And you hit share with friend and you choose your mechanism, whether it's Twitter or message, I'll do message. And I'll send one to Aaron just so he knows. So he doesn't feel left out. I wasn't. You sure? Yeah. But the, the thing is here is like, normally I would talk to you via iMessage. Yeah. Or, you know, you seem to like Twitter DMs. Um, yeah. And so I would normally use that channel to talk to you unless I've yeah. got a, a question for you, which could be answered with up to, say, three options. In sure. that case, I'm going to switch to this other context <laughs> and log in to request and send that question to you. And then right. we'll switch back right. to iMessage. F that. <laughs> in the ear. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like it's like yesterday. Jaime said to me, "Are we are we still recording it at, at on Wednesday and at, at nine? I said, and the answer was yes. I mean, so I used Twitter and I just said yes, but I could have just as easily done oh, it with this app. Use right? Twitter like some kind of animal when this app was out there. I know. Well, I know it wasn't out there last night when I answered this question. Okay, are we done? Right. <laughs> Let's button this up. <laughs> You're I think me. we're done. Well, yeah. guess what? So, where can you find I'm... Aaron Bay? Where can yeah if you so <laughs> on Twitter at Aaron Bay or go to magpievideo.com and and find out about an app that you might actually use. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and Jaime, if people were looking to other than other than finding you wandering around uh, Moscone next week with your MTJC t-shirt on, totally jelly. Exactly, oh, uh, and it's still out there. If people are listening and it's timely information. Um, if you recognize me and uh, you know fan of the show. Um, Look for the hair. Yeah, exactly. Hey, fan of the show, you're listening to this. Um, let's go have beers. I will buy you a beer. I'm going to get on a plane and take my ass down to San Francisco and run into Jaime. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's worth putting the disclaimers like this. This is not available for people that we already have as part of the show. So Greg and Mark sucks to be you. <laughs> really? I'll buy you a beer. It's because it's out of the goodness of my heart, not as, uh, you know, part of the show content. You are not eligible oh, to win. <laughs> yeah, you can't. Yeah, if, you're, if you're part of the show already, you can't win. That's that sucks. Uh, and my name is Timitri, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter and on my blog, it-guy.com. Next week, I'm starting to teach at Lighthouse Labs. And other than that, I will try and see what I can do about watching the keynote and stuff like that. Yeah, congratulations, by the way. I don't know if I actually said that. but uh, Well, yeah, it's, yes, it's not it it's good not, it ain't a full-time gig, but, you know, it's it's uh, it's a start. So well, we'll you st you're stringing together many beads on your necklace of life. Yeah, I'm hoping something sticks to the wall. Okay. <laughs> now point. we're mixing metaphors. Yes, exactly. All right. Um, say goodbye. All right. So I guess we'll say goodbye. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, or if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. 
If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. You can provide as little as a dollar a month. Any amount helps. However, you're free to do as you please. Thanks again for listening. Anything significant we want to say about the number 42? It's the answer. <laughs> Stop asking questions now. Okay. Does that make sense? We've done it 43, 41 times before. Well, this is the magical 42, episode 42. Is Jaime still here? I am still here. Okay, you're, you got off. He's an oh, I'm just, just enjoying the show. <laughs> Named after the first president, I'm sure. Yeah, our sure. state flag looks kind of like a dollar bill. It's got Washington's face, and then it's got a like an emerald green background. A face? Your, yours does, or theirs? Yeah, the, the state of Washington uh, you know, state flag. Checking it out now. Really? I want to see a flag with a face on it. Oh my God, it does. That's mm. appalling. It's a, like a dollar bill. It's it's totally yeah, dumb. it is. I've never seen a flag with so, such detail. You know, flags tend to have, um, you know, just straight patterns. Mm-hmm. This is, oh, it depends on the flag. I used, I used to work in a bit. I used to make flags in my first. Career. Is there anything you haven't done, Tim? No, I actually I worked for a company making flags and banners, so I did a of lot of those did. kind of things. I, I, I said, of course you did. Mm-hmm. I, which is kind of cool because I remember being when I was a kid looking at the um, the uh, like I think it was a uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. They had they had the one with the the peelable people, or they had the people, and you could pull back the layers and take the skin off and look at the musculature and all that kind of stuff. But they also had a session on flags. And I remember reading about signal flags and stuff like that. And then when I actually got around to making the flags for the government, for the Canadian government, for the signals, for the boats, like, cause they, you know, they use, I, I think it's called signaling actually. Um, and they used colored like blotches of symbols and stuff like that to send signals to each other silently. Right. Those are the most boring flags to work on. Okay. Well, I have to say, so so when I was at uh, when I was at uh, Washington, I went to the National Gallery, and there's two famous paintings of of George Baby. There, it's, and I took pictures. Good that of you're them. on first name basis with him. Yeah. Well, we you know, and it's well. These, I, I remember having to, to study these in, in uh, school. I don't remember who painted.